Good morning. Pastor Mike, and it's my privilege to open up the Word of God with you. You might remember a few weeks ago I said something about uh, going to get my hair cut and um, talking to the person who cuts my hair about Jesus. I still haven't been to have my hair cut, so in case you were wondering. There's no update on that other than my hair keeps growing. Uh, but I am wearing contacts because I ruined my pair of glasses that I had, and my backup pair is no good. So I found a pair of contacts. So it's just, I'm a mess. So, uh, But as we, uh, as we look into God's Word today, we're going to dive back in, as we have been, to the Ten Words, the Decalogue, the Ten Commandments, uh, whatever you would like to call them. And we come to Exodus chapter 20, verse 12, also known as the fifth commandment. In the past, I have felt a little bit awkward. Um, the, the New Testament reading for today was Ephesians 6, 1 through 4. And I have felt a little awkward, a little self-serving in, in sharing with people that that's the first Bible memory verse we give to our kids, you know. <laughs> It seems kind of self-serving. Okay, it's Bible time, kids. We're going to memorize things. You ready? Children. Okay, that's you. Obey your parents. Who are the parents? That's, that's me, right? And mom. That's how it's going to go well with you. This is right. Honor your father and mother. That you might live long. Right? All those kind of things. And I've kind of felt, you know, a little awkward, a little self-conscious maybe. Uh, but we, that's what we've done. And it just seems odd and self-serving as you start talking about it. But you know what? As I have dug into the law of God, and especially into the fifth commandment, as I've explored it more and more, I've grown in, in, in confidence that actually that is a really good thing, to teach our children to obey their parents. As a parent, to ask my children to obey. Because as we look at this passage, we realize, you know, it's not just for me or for my wife and I that we would teach our children to obey. And it's not, it's not just good for parents everywhere to teach your children. It is actually good for our society. It is good for the world. And it's a surprising thing as we look here at the law of God and we transition from the commandments that are more uh, vertically focused now into the very first one that is really horizontally focused we see something beautiful. That this is not only the law of fire, that this is the love of God at work. So would you read with me uh, Exodus chapter 20. We're going to kind of summarize and, and jump through the commandments to hit them all today. So just keep, bear with me. In Exodus chapter 20, verse 1 and following, this is God's word. Then God spoke all these words, saying... I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt and out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an idol. Verse 7. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. Verse 8. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Verse 12, our focus today. Honor your father and your mother that 
your days may be prolonged in the land which the Lord your God gives you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet. This is God's word. Father, thank you for your word, that it is from your heart. It is who you are, and it leads us and guides us a lamp to our path, a light for our feet. Lord, would you make it that to us today? More than pixels on a screen and ink on paper, sound waves on our eardrums, would you make it the very word of God, living and breathing and active in our hearts and through us into our community, especially into our families? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So this is the, uh, the first commandment that, that doesn't have to do directly with our relationship to God. You know, to this point, the ten words, these instructions, the Decalogue, the commandments, they have dealt directly, vertically. They're about you and I and God. And the first commandment said what? Put the Lord first. The second commandment said, watch out for God substitutes. The third commandment said to honor his name. And the fourth commandment said to honor his work in creation and redemption. And kind of got into our hearts a little bit about are we resting and are we faithful in our working. Uh, But now, as the commands have been summarized by Jesus to love God and love your neighbor, right? Now we're transitioning into fully, what does it mean to love your neighbor? And the very first command that God gives to help you and I understand what it means to love our neighbor is this command to honor our father and our mother. It's it's a, a very important principle. In fact, it's so important, it's actually kind of kind of scary. One commentator puts it this way. He says, some of the most frightening curses in the Old Testament are reserved for children who rebel against their parents. And he made this observation while he was teaching the youth group as a pastor. And they went through these scriptures to say, what does it say in the Bible about honoring your parents? And he found things like He who curses his father or his mother shall surely be put to death. Exodus 21, 17. Other cases where if you dishonor your parents, you should be taken to the gate and stoned to death. Wow. Have you ever thought about that? Now we know, as we've looked at the study of the Ten Commandments and the law of God, we know that those particular civil laws, those application of the principles to the people of Israel, those are no longer binding because we are not the nation of Israel. Yet, the New Testament affirms how important this command is. It's very serious. In fact, When you see, Paul says in 2 Timothy 3, people who are, among other things, disobedient to parents on a widespread basis, you know it is the end. Signs of the end of a culture, a society, and ultimately of this era. In fact, disobedience to parents is a sign and symptom of profound rebellion against God. 
It's in that section in Romans 1 in verse 30 where Paul is listing what it looks like for God to give people up and allow them to sin more and more. This is part of all of that. But then, on the other hand, it's still true in this era, in this day, that this command in honoring parents remains a path to prosperity, that it may go well with you. Ephesians 6, 1 and 2. So as we start to, to unpack it a little bit more, this, the, the, the gist is this. The, the law is all about relationships. We've seen that, right? And the first horizontal instruction, the first command in this direction to really show us what it looks like to love our neighbor, this first instruction is about the parent-child relationship. And that parent-child relationship is first and foundational. That is the relationship that is first and foundational. That's the first thing we want to look at. That the parent-child relationship is first and foundational. What, what, what does that mean? Well, the first thing it means is, is what's obvious, uh, but in these days we, we need to state the obvious sometimes because things get a little confused. But the reality is that what? A mother and a father bring children into the world. Right? That's how children come about. That's how God continues the human race. When he says, honor your father and your mother, it, implicit in those terms is the idea that that's where children come from, a mother and a father. Everyone has one at the moment of conception. Some of us don't get to experience and enjoy a relationship with those people. We are raised by others, and so... This would apply to them as well by extension to those who are our guardians. And some of us have a mother and father who aren't the best model of what that looks like. Regardless of that, the reality is that God designed humanity so a man and a woman come together to continue the human race, one little baby at a time. So that's the way God has made it. Humans are created and called to be fruitful and multiply. Genesis 1.28. God said that before the fall, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. That calling was there before the fall and even afterwards, even after the flood, when God was judging that early population, it is reiterated in Genesis 9.1 and 7. Be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth. That's a part of what it means to be human. It's a part of how God has designed us. That doesn't mean that in a fallen world everyone gets to experience that, or that in a fallen world it's not without lots of problems, lots of brokenness. But what God is seeking, Malachi 2, 14 and 15 tells us, is a godly offspring. That God wants a people to spread throughout all the world that reflect and image him. That the world would become populated with his image. His good and right and wonderful image. As we know, childbirth is painful. At least women who have experienced it know and, and the men who have walked alongside of them know uh, that childbirth is painful. But here's an interesting thing that Jesus says 
he's making a different point, but he kind of assumes that, and states as a, as a reality, actually, that, that when a woman is in labor, she has pain, for her hour has come. But when she gives birth to the child, she no longer remembers the anguish because of the joy that a child has been born into the world. You know, the general principle there is childbirth is painful. And yet the joy of a new child, more often than not, as a general principle, overcomes that sorrow. I've seen it with my own wife. Seven times, seven childbirths. And she'll say, yeah, I'd, I'd have another one. And I just sit there going, man, I, no, I don't. Wow. You, you're, you're, wow. I'm thankful to be a man at that point. <laughs> I don't think I could do that. And she not only does that, but then all the pain passes from memory almost with the joy of a little child. Now, this is, this is God's design. This is the way God has made us as human beings that this relationship, mother and father, they bring children into the world. This is the first and foundational reality. And what those mother and father do then is prepare them, the children, for the world. So we bring them into the world and then we prepare them for the world, as one comedian used to say. And I can take you out of the world, right? But that's a, that's a different story. Uh, but well, we prepare them for the world, right? So you honor your father and your mother that your days may be prolonged. That in the parent-child relationship, that first and foundational relationship, that the parents are preparing children for the world. And it, notice it is parents, it is both. Here in Exodus 20, verse 12, it's super clear. Honor your father and your mother. This is one of those places I would encourage you to point to when friends and critics of yours would say, oh, the Old Testament is just this, it's patriarchal, it's oppressive, you know, it, it demeans women and, and denigrates them and tears them down. It's all about men and patriarchy. And, and you, can, you can read it that way. You can see those things in there. And, and if you're honest and you look at ancient history and the world, that's the way the world was. And then here in the scriptures, though, and you will look in vain, to find it elsewhere is an affirmation of both the father and the mother. In fact, Leviticus 19.3 says, every one of you shall reverence his mother and his father. There is a dignity. There is a command for children to honor not just the men in their lives, not just the fathers, but their mothers. It is the man and the woman together, the mother and the father, that God has used to establish authority in the world. It is the first and foundational relationship that every one of us experiences typically. And not everyone, again, has that blessing. And some, it is a curse. It is a fallen world. But the parents are then to prepare the children for the world. One theologian said, parents sit in that place to which they have been advanced by the Lord, who shares with them a part of his honor. The Lord has, has entrusted some of his authority to some people. 
There is no authority except that which is ordained by God, Paul says in Romans 12, right? Well, part of that extends here to the mother and the father, the the parents, the guardians, entrusted with the care of preparing children for the world. So listen, in this day and age, I know there are a lot of mothers and a lot of fathers who are beat up by their children, who are bullied by their children, who are feeling guilty over how they've raised their children, who maybe feel like you don't have a right to speak into the life of your children, who feel like maybe you forfeited all that because you messed things up. The the Scriptures don't put an asterisk on this. And if there are things you have sinned in, you should repent and seek forgiveness if there are ways that you have failed by omission or commission, by not doing or by doing, not doing what you should not, or doing what you should not have, do your best to make it right. But none of that changes the fact that God has, has planned for mothers and fathers to prepare children for the world, that that relationship is that important, that God, in fact, shares some of His glory with you and in fact, you get an understanding, I do anyway, as I, as I try to raise my children and, and I just feel overwhelmed sometimes, don't know what to do, or get frustrated, I begin to think and understand God a little better. The one who is my Father in heaven. What does He see when He interacts with me? Wow. When He sees my heart... I only ever see the outer actions. I don't get to see the heart. He sees my heart and its brokenness. And he still loves me. He still wants what's best for me. That that understanding, that that's what God is doing in and through us as parents, raising children and trying to get them to do what is right is not self-serving. It is God-honoring. And mothers, it is your right to speak into the lives of your children. However they respond to you. Fathers, it is your right to speak into the lives of your children. Now as you go older and you know, the scriptures speak of uh, husbands leaving their father and mother and cleaving to their wife, it changes over time. And I'm speaking particularly of children under the age of 18 as we seek to raise the next generation. You don't need to prove yourself with violence or with shame or with guilt or manipulation. By God's command, you have been granted a status that is worthy. You're important. One commentator put it this way, just as the relationship with Yahweh, the Lord, is the beginning of the covenant, our relationship with Him, so this relationship, that is between the parents and children, is the beginning of society, the inevitable point of departure for every human relationship. 
The first relationship beyond the relationship with Yahweh, who according to the Old Testament is the giver of life, is the relationship to a father and to a mother who together are channels of Yahweh's gift of life. No other human relationship is so fundamental and none is more important. That ought to, for all of us, children and parents, kind of raise the stakes a little bit that maybe we, we should be more intentional about that relationship. Maybe we ought to spend some time thinking, praying, talking about it uh, amongst the parents and with the children. And children, you need to realize that, that this is God's plan for you, for your good, that it might go well with you. That how you learn to interact with your parents is the, the foundation for how you will interact with every human being you ever meet for the rest of your life. Is that not scary? It's that important. It's huge for your lives. In that case, you know, it's kind of, in a sense, it's foolishness for us to say, you know, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to kind of raise my children neutrally. You know, I want, I'll wait for them to get to an old enough age where they can make their own decisions. You don't do that with their nutrition. You don't do that with their schooling. You don't do that with anything else. Don't do it in this realm of spiritual things. God has given you this responsibility, this right, this privilege for their good, for you to speak into their lives. Uh, Phil Riken, former pastor of 10th Prez in Philly, said, under ordinary circumstances, the first people a child knows are his parents. And God intends the family to be our first hospital first school, first government, first church. If we don't respect authority at home, we will not respect it anywhere. That's parents. That's our calling. And children, as you're listening into that, realize that's, that's the weight that we as parents feel. It's why sometimes we freak out. It's why sometimes we lose it. It's why sometimes we run away. You know, it's, it's pressure. It's a challenge. But it's from God who has emphasized that this parent-child relationship is first and foundational. But he doesn't only emphasize that. He also says that that parent-child relationship is future and faith-oriented. So it's first and foundational, but it's also future and faith-oriented. That it is... uh, this command that takes a long view of what it means to be human. It's a long view of being human. Look again, verse 12. Honor your father and your mother that your days may be prolonged in the land which the Lord your God gives you. It doesn't say, honor your father and your mother that you'd be happy and content and just enjoying life wonderfully right now in the moment. It says... This is a long view. Honor your father and your mother that your days may be prolonged in the land. The parallel in Deuteronomy 5.16 when Moses restates the law as the people are getting ready to go into the promised land the next generation, 40 years later. It says that your days may be prolonged and that it may go well with you in the land the Lord your God is giving you. That's, that's where Paul in Ephesians 6 quotes this verse and calls it the first command with a promise. Do you see that's like a long view, right? That's not in the moment. That's for the future. 
That is challenging for every one of us, but wow, parents and children, but parents especially, that is so hard for children. They're not going to get that. There, there's, there are uh, neurological realities that don't kick in. You know, this research has said you know, that the, the, the brain development and those kind of things, the part uh, uh, that is rational, reasoning, ordered thinking, that kind of stuff, doesn't really mature until your mid-twenties. That's not a slam. It's not an insult. It's, it's a reality that as you are growing and developing, just you, you're, you're, you're more impulsive, more emotional, less rational. That doesn't mean they're just crazy, but I mean, sometimes, you know. But it explains, it doesn't excuse the functions and the realities that happen for every one of us. I remember, right? I remember doing so many stupid things, especially as I went off to college and was on my own. I, I just was stupid, foolish. I'm so thankful that God in his grace spared me many things and that God in his grace I uh, had me before a judge a couple of times, as Pastor Dave mentioned his, his experience. It didn't go into detail. I won't go into detail of mine either. We could talk about it at a different time. But the, the, that's a part of the reality. That the, there is growing and developing that needs to happen. And so the emotions are, are higher and the rational thinking is lower. It's very hard to do the math and say, okay, well, if I, you know, if I do this and do this, some kids are wired that way, most of them aren't. It's really hard to take this long view when you're young. So parents, that's part of your job. Your job is not to please the child in the moment. Your job is that that child, maybe when they're 30, would begin to say, yeah, maybe that was the right decision when you wouldn't let me go to that party because I hadn't done my homework. Or when you took away the Xbox, you know, because I hadn't cleaned my room. Do you realize that the same developmental things that are going on make those things so earth-shaking and so overwhelming for the child when 10 years from now they could care less about whatever that thing is? But you feel that in the moment, don't you? And so to get above it, to take that long view of saying it's not about this moment, this is about the future. This is about a long view of raising children. And there, man, there are overwhelming times when you need to keep that in mind. We're not done yet. You know, whatever's going on with you and your children, you're not done yet. It's a long process. Children, whatever you're going through with your parents, you're not done yet. It's a long process of raising parents. <laughs> yeah. Part of the, the challenge is to recognize those patterns, right? To, to, uh, to have this view of, I, I don't understand I'm not sure this is the best decision, mom and dad, right? I even maybe disagree with it right now. And to realize, you know what, there might be things you don't see. There might be things you don't understand. There might be things going on that you can't possibly anticipate. 
That's, that's part of what we're talking about here. We are, in other words, in the parent-child relationship, we're, we're about this future and faith orientation that's taken a long view of being human, and it's also about learning to trust the Lord. Essentially, that's what this is. That the parent-child relationship is about learning to trust the Lord. It's just as much for the parents as it is for the children, but in particular for the children, we're, we're, we're dealing with this issue of faith, of learning to trust. It doesn't always feel like, does it ever even feel like, the instruction and discipline are, as Proverbs 1, 8, and 9 says, a graceful wreath to your head and ornaments about your neck. I don't know many children that feel that in the moment when they're denied something that they really want, that they would say, oh, this is, mom and dad, this is just like a graceful wreath around my head. And it's like ornaments. It's beautiful jewelry. Thanks for the bling, mom and dad. That's way better than more time on my Xbox. I have a metaphorical garland and wreath around my Those are things that when you're sane and rational and in the moment thinking through them, you reflect on it and go, that really was for my good. I, I've lamented a number of times that as, as I went through college, I was not held accountable. I was stupid. I wasted so much money time, talent, treasure, wasted it. And the university kept taking my money, taking my dad's money. Well, I'm getting, I graduated with the lowest possible cume to get the degree that I got, a 2.35. I needed a 2.3. The university kept taking the money. Nobody said to me, Mike, you are so immature. You can't handle this right now. You have potential, and you're wasting it. Rather than continue to just take your money, we think you should find something else to do for a season, maybe until you're like 25 and, and your prefrontal cortex more fully develops. Okay, that was like a long time ago, so they probably wouldn't have used those words, right? And would I have listened anyway? No, but I would have felt the sting. Maybe it would have worked. I know a guy who was fired uh, by his boss, uh, a, a Christian woman, fired this man. Years later, he shows up at her church, and she's like, oh, no, that's that guy I fired. And she doesn't, you know, she did the right thing. It was a hard decision, but it was, it was hard. But she knew she did the right thing, but just how awkward that is. And he comes up to her, and he says something to the effect, I don't remember the exact words now, that was about the best thing that ever happened to me. I needed that. It woke me up. That's the kind of thing we're doing. And that's the thing that God is calling children to. To learn in this moment. From your mother and your father. From your parents and guardians. From the people that are with you in the middle of the night when you're puking all over the place. Sorry, I'm not supposed to mention that in the pulpit. But when you are making a mess, they changed your diapers. Oh man, do you know how bad diapers are sometimes? <laughs> I'm talking nose hair frying. Right? You're just like... And what do you do? Do you go, no, I want another baby? No. <laughs> no. 
maybe you throw away the car seat and everything that that touched, you know, like nuclear radiation or something, but you keep the kid. You clean the child up. You dive in. You get literally dirty, right? That's, this is where God is teaching you what he is like, however imperfectly we are. As your parents, it's a, it's a pale shadow of the one who has loved you, the one who loves even us in the midst of our imperfectness, in the midst of our frustrations, in the midst of our bad responses and our ineptitude, that this is what God is doing. And he's calling us to enter into that, to trust him, learning to trust him in the midst of this when things don't go our way. What it means, I like the way this one theologian put it. I think it might be Phil Riken again. To honor one's parents is to give due weight to their position. That's actually what the word honor there is. It's kavod. It has to do with weight. Uh, it could be translated glory. It's about being heavy. It's about feeling the weight of something. To honor one's parents is to give due weight to their position. It's to give them the recognition they deserve for their God-given authority. To honor is to respect, esteem, value, and prize fathers and mothers as gifts from God. Now, you're not going to get that. You know, especially if you're a teenager, you're probably not getting that. As a kid, you may not, even younger, you might not totally understand what that means. But that's the framework. And it's hard. Don't hear me saying it's not hard. Children, don't hear me saying it's not hard. It's really hard. It calls for you to believe before you experience something. It's calling for you to walk by faith. It's calling for you to trust that God knew what he was doing when he put those annoying people in your life. Parents, same thing, right? It calls for you to trust God that he knew what he was doing when he put these particular people in your life. And by the way, they've got half of your DNA most likely, right? And you're reaping some of what you've sown. And it's God's grace. It's God working that, that you might trust him, that you might see in your own failures your need for Jesus and how much better a father God is to you. And that your children might see how much better a father God is than you as well. As you walk in that, as you, the more you can own that, the better opportunity you have especially as we enter into the idea of discipline. And we really don't have time to unpack this the way it deserves to be unpacked. But and we don't have time to talk about spanking and different forms of punishment and those kind of things. But discipline is, is the key word. Discipline is basically a present, you know, now immediate suffering designed to eliminate or forestall much larger sufferings down the road. Right, that's the idea. Discipline, training, instruction. You know, it's the same idea as you would exercise in the gym. You, you are going through some pain now that you could have a greater strength later. Flip side of that idea. Discipline is painful. The scriptures own that. The scriptures own that. 
Don't hear saying, children, obey your parents and the Lord. It's all going to be kumbaya. I have a little bit of an issue with trust and obey. The song we just sang, it kind of makes it sound a little too easy. Not a shadow can rise, you know, not a cloud in the skies. As long as we trust and obey. Yes, and it sucks sometimes. Pardon my French. That's not French. That's probably an insult to French people. I just realized that. <laughs> what does that saying even mean? I don't know. But that, it's hard. It's not easy. And it doesn't make all the problems go away. The parenting and being parented, being a child, is hard work. We're talking about planting and, and, and watering. We're talking about preparing the ground and putting the soil in the right place and fertilizing and putting more seed in there and, and watering and doing all this, this hard work. And you don't see fruit. Maybe you don't see fruit in your parents often enough. Maybe we don't see it in the children often enough. You know, but it's not now. We're not done. This is a future and faith-oriented thing. That we're taking a long view of what it means to be human, of learning to trust the Lord in this first and foundational relationship that all of us, in fact, might get to know the Lord better. That he might discipline us in the midst of it. That we might gain an understanding of who he is. Who he wants us to be. Who he's shaping us to be. As the scriptures say in, in Hebrews chapter 12, great chapter. I wish we had time to, to really dig into it. He says, uh, all discipline, Hebrews 12, 11, for the moment seems not to be joyful. Is that not an understatement? All discipline for the moment seems not to be joyful. It stinks. It's hard, right? But sorrowful. It's not joyful, it's sorrowful. And the word there, by the way, all discipline for the moment seems not to be joyful, but sorrowful. That word is the same word that Jesus used back in John 16 to talk about a woman's labor pains. Discipline is like childbirth, it's painful. That's the sense there. It's sorrowful, pain of mind or spirit, grief, affliction. It's that same word, right? It's parallel with the word for, for pressure, for distress. For feeling hemmed in and closed, overwhelmed, right? That's, that's the sense here, that that's what discipline is like. It's not joyful in the moment, but sorrowful, yet to those who have been trained by it, afterwards it yields a peaceful fruit of righteousness. That there is a sense, and this is not just for children, but particularly thinking of children, if you will allow yourself to be trained by that discipline, even if you feel like it doesn't make sense, if you feel like it's wrong, right? if you will engage with it and be willing to be trained by it, lift it up to the Lord. If you think you've been treated unjustly, part of what God is trying to call you to trust him for is that he's a God of justice. It doesn't excuse abuse, okay? Don't hear me saying that. Walking through these things, that we are as parents as well being trained. That God, those whom he loves, Jesus says in Revelation 3.19, I reprove and discipline. Be zealous and repent. That in all of this, God is at work. Your, your failures <clears throat> as a parent or a child, I point you to Jesus. And your great need for him as what? The perfect child. The perfect son of the father. The one who always did what was right and pleasing to the Father. The one who the Father always 
adored and loved and said, listen to. Yet in the great mystery of God's grace to us, this same son would take your place and become the object of that father's wrath and punishment. That he would carry in the cross our sin and brokenness. That we might become the righteousness of God. That we might know that we can be better. That we might know that our shame is buried and done. That we might know we can have power to overcome. That we might know we are accepted by God because of this one who was rejected for us. That this is the great mystery here, that God would be at work. So listen. Parents, stick with it. Don't give up. It's a long-term process, even when it feels like you're going backwards. You're not done yet. It's a walk of faith. Allow the Lord in those frustrations to shape and mold you as His child. In the same way you're desiring to shape and mold your children. Children, don't give up. It is hard. Discipline and correction is not fun. It is painful, sorrowful. Don't bury those feelings under an outer empty shell of happiness and smiling while inside you're decaying and dying. Take it to the Lord. We all fall short. And God is disciplining and growing each one of us that we are all a part of that first and foundational relationship vertically. That one that is future and faith oriented and that day is going to come when our Father rolls back the sky, and our brother reappears, and he says, it's, it's finished for all. It's once and for all done. And he raises the dead, and he says to us, come and rest. Come, you beloved of my Father. Come, enter into this rest. This, this, is, this, is, the, this is where we're headed. And so don't give up. Will you pray with me? Lord Jesus, your law is about relationships. Your law is reality. We can't change it any more than we can just say fire will no longer burn. And so we bear scars. We've been burned and we have burned others as parents, as children. Would you forgive would you give us the grace to repent and recognize in it your discipline? And would you, O oh Lord, use this parent-child relationship, whatever phase of it in we are in, as first and foundational, Lord, would you give us this vision of, that it is a future and faith orientation? Would you give us the long view? Would you be gracious to our children and give them a heart that is tender towards you, forgiving toward us. Would you be gracious to our children and make us a repentant people? Would you, O oh Lord, be gracious as you are? For we pray in the gracious name of Jesus. Amen.